Well, again, good morning. Good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Hershey Free, whether you're in person or online. My name is George Davis, and I want to thank you for being a part of our church services today. Now, we're currently in the series in the book of Acts, and as we've been going through this series, a recurrent theme we're really addressing is the reality that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to really live out the truth of the gospel in word and deed. And even as we've been talking about that, we've had some different projects going on this fall. And I wanted to bring you an update just on one of them. We talked recently about our partnership with Downey Elementary in Harrisburg. And we partnered with them in in doing Operation Christmas Child boxes that could be sent to other parts of the world. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that have been a part of this project Many of you donated items or made contributions. Likewise, on Monday, we had just a great packing party down there at that elementary. We had 50 volunteers from our, our church who participated. So we came alongside the families of this elementary school, and together uh, we packed 200 boxes that will be a part of the Operation Christmas Child Project this year. So I just, I just wanted to say thank you and just let you know that our partnership with this uh, elementary school is ongoing, so we will have continuing opportunities for you to be involved in what we're doing there, and so we'll keep you updated. But just wanted to thank you uh, for being a part of that this week in Harrisburg. Also, throughout this series, uh, as we've been talking about this mission that God invites us to be a part of, uh, at different points in the series, we've made available a booklet just to kind of stir your thinking on what it looks like for you to be part of the mission of God. We talked about what is it like for me to engage with those who are kind of near me and like me and maybe those that are a little different and kind of not so close and even today thinking about those who might be far away. So we have kind of the third booklet available to you today. So if you didn't pick it up as you came in, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out. Just even to encourage you to think about how uh, we as a church family are engaged in God's mission throughout the world. There's more information on that and more information on how you can stay connected with the mission work that we are doing internationally, even through our prayer list or even directly uh, connecting with one of our missionary families. So I would encourage you to pick that up just to kind of allow yourself to be stretched in terms of how God is at work and how we as a church community can be a part of that. So this morning we're coming back to this study in the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And as we come back to the storyline of the early church, I want, to, I want to ask you a couple of questions. So here's the first one. <laughs> Do you believe people can change? I realize that's kind of a heady question, kind of a big idea question, but do you, do you believe that people can change? Do you really believe people can experience change in their attitudes, their beliefs, their commitments, how they approach life, how they engage their relationships, how they approach their family responsibilities? Do you, do you really believe people can change, or is it basically, you know, people just, they are what they are. Now, I realize that's a pretty big question. That's, that's a bit global. So let, let, me, let, me make this, let me make this more personal and ask you another question. 
Would you read that with me? Do I believe I can change? Now just think about that question for a moment. Do I believe I can change? Do I believe God can really bring about change in my life? Or do, or do I kind of just look in the mirror and go, you know what, it is what it is, right? I mean, this is my personality. It's, it's been shaped by my upbringing. It's been shaped by certain experiences. It's shaped by certain habits that I've developed. Some of that's good. Some of that's not so good. It really, it's, it is what it is. And you can almost reach the point of saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm really just a result of genetics and experiences, right? <laughs> and that's it. So do I believe, do I believe that I can change? And they say, well, what does this have to do with the book of Acts? Well, here's the reason I ask these questions. You may not think in these terms, but the theme of change is really foundational and central to Christianity. Right? In, in the Gospels, Jesus appears on the scene, and as Mark's, Mark recounts the story in his Gospel, he says the, the first words we hear from Jesus are the reality that this kingdom of God, this new work of God, is now here. Therefore, you are to repent and believe the good news. That is, you are to, to reorient your life to this new reality, this new work that Jesus claims he is bringing about through his life and death and resurrection. This new work that brings forgiveness, renewal, and restoration, you, you are kind of to realign your life to that. And that, that, that's, that take, that's a process of change, and it, but it's not simply that initial change of repentance and faith. But as we read it through the New Testament, this becomes an ongoing journey of change and transformation. Where more and more our lives are, are, are empowered to reflect God's grace. So, do I really believe I can change? Now, now to see this in action, what we're going to do today is, as we look at Acts chapter 10, we're just going to walk through this story. And, and what we are going to encounter are, are two individuals that in different ways experience the change that God can bring about. And what I want to just ask of you is, as we read these stories, as we work through these two stories of change, would you be open to the possibility that even as you see change taking place in the lives of these individuals, maybe there is a similar type of change that God is actually bringing about in your life right now. Now, the two main characters we're going to encounter here, first of all, Peter, right, leader of the early Christian movement, a very foundational figure in early Christianity, and then Cornelius, who is very different, he's a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion. Now we're going to focus on chapter 10, but we really need to start the story at the end of chapter 9. So uh, look with me in, in Acts chapter 9, the last verse, verse 43. We pick up with Peter, and we're told Peter stayed in Joppa for some time, with a, with a tanner named Simon. Okay, now let's just start to get the story together. So our first main character is Peter, 
very familiar in Christian history, and he is in Joppa, which is a community along the seashore, along the Mediterranean Sea, he, and he is staying with a guy named Simon. Now, my guess is if we could kind of drop into that scene right at the end of chapter 9, and we could have a conversation with Peter just about, hey, how are things going? Peter would have some amazing stories to tell. I think he could talk about, you know, he could talk about the amazing work of God that he's already seen. He's seen more and more people becoming followers of Jesus, even some very unlikely people, like those people in Samaria that, you know, they, they're not quite like us. And, and uh, he could talk about that. And I think in some ways, if you had this conversation with him and kind of, how are you doing? And I think in some sense, he might say, I've, I've been stretched in seeing the way God can be at work in the lives of people. After all, now notice where he's staying. Because Luke not only gives us this guy's name, he's Simon, we also get his occupation. He's a tanner. And you need to understand, tanning, right? Tanning, tanning was a messy process dealing with animal hides. I mean, most likely his house maybe would have had a courtyard and there'd be these huge vats filled with chemicals and the hides and, you know, body parts and there's just all these smells. And yeah, it's kind of a nasty occupation. And not surprisingly then, in good Jewish circles, this was not considered an acceptable occupation. So the very fact that Peter is willing to set stay with Simon the Tanner shows us, you know what, he's being stretched and understanding the way God works and, and the people whom God works with. He's being pushed out of his comfort zone already. However, at this moment, he has no idea, I think, how his understanding of God's character his understanding of God's grace is about to be stretched even further. And to show you kind of how significant this, this incident is going to be, here's what we need to keep in mind. We've got two characters, right? We've got, we've got Peter and we've got this guy named Cornelius. Not only do we have two characters, we have two locations, we're going to be told that, right, Peter is in Joppa, so that's kind of along the coast. And about 30 to 35 miles north is this guy named Cornelius, this Roman centurion. And he is in Caesarea, sometimes referred to as Caesarea by the sea. So two people in two locations. And as we're going to see, Cornelius in a vision is instructed, you need, you need to go get Peter. You need to get Peter so you can find out more about what God is doing through Jesus Christ. But here's what's fascinating. Now notice this again. Notice this. So Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter is in Joppa. Right? And we're going to see. Cornelius is going to send, send several individuals down to Joppa to get Peter. But what I find intriguing is this. If you go back a chapter earlier... There's somebody already in Caesarea. At the end of Acts chapter 8, we are told that Philip was in Caesarea. 
Now, who's Philip? Philip is a guy who already has experience explaining Jesus to people who are kind of on the fringes, to people who are outside, right? Philip has already been to Samaria and seen what has happened there is Samaritans have become followers of Jesus. Philip had already talked with this Ethiopian, with this African guy who was a eunuch and explained Jesus to him. If there were anyone in the early Christian movement that already had experience talking to outsiders about Jesus, it was Philip. And Philip is in Caesarea. This doesn't feel very efficient to me. But we're going to see Cornelius is going to be told, no, you don't need to go down the street to Philip. You need to send people to Joppa because you need to get Peter. Now, why is that? (laughs) Why is God doing something that seems so inefficient? Well, I think the answer is clear. You see, to those early Christian followers who came from a Jewish background, what is about to happen is so mind-blowing. It's so disruptive to their way of thinking It's so shattering to their categories that Peter's got to be the one who sees this. It's going to take someone with his level of credibility in the early Christian movement to actually explain this to other people. Hey, we have been thinking one way, but guess what? God is doing something totally different. I mean, this is such a radical change that Peter is going to experience that it's going to take him experiencing it for it to begin to take root in the early Christian movement. So we begin with Peter, who is in Joppa. And meanwhile, up the coast in Caesarea, here's what we read. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devoted and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. By the way, I love that extra detail. By the way, you know, his house is by the sea because tanners, they need a lot of water. Furthermore, the breeze just really helps with the smell, I think, right? So Simon, so Cornelius has this vision. And please note how positively he is described here. You know, there was just so much to admire about this guy. So much that perhaps from a Jewish perspective would be surprising. Here is, a, you know, here is this Roman centurion that is described in such positive ways. And yet something is missing in his life. Cornelius, I want you to find out what that something is. So I want you to send for Peter. He's down the road. He's in Joppa. And so Cornelius 
empowers his men and sends a delegation down the road to go and summon Peter in Joppa. Meanwhile, right, we get to the next day. And Peter is in Joppa. And here's what we read, beginning in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, right, the delegation from Cornelius, and as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And I understand, okay, the roofs are flat. He goes up to the roof to pray. He's getting hungry. This has got to be a weird scene, right? Because you're kind of getting hungry, but there's also those weird smells coming down from the courtyard, right? I don't know. I don't know what what that's like. And then he he falls asleep, and, and he has this vision. He goes into a trance, and maybe not surprisingly, given his circumstances, it's about food. But in this trance he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds now understand right the jews understood that there were certain foods that were clean to eat but certain foods that were prohibited they were unclean and and so we see unclean animals on this sheet and yet the vision continues a voice tells him get up peter kill and eat surely not lord Peter replies, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, I can't help but wonder... That as Peter has this vision, I can't help but wonder that his initial response is, you know what, this is, this is a test. And remember, this is the guy who we know under previous circumstances had caved under pressure, right? This is that bravado disciple whom Jesus once looked at before his arrest and said, by the way, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no, no, not me, right? Everybody else may do that, but, but not me. And yet under pressure, that's exactly what he did. He caved. And I can't help but wonder if he feels like, oh, this is another test, but this time I will be resolute. This time I will not give in. This time I'm going to take the hard road. I will not get a kill and eat. And so... So he has, this, he has this vision three times. And he really doesn't get what's going on. And he gets up. Meanwhile, about this time, that delegation from Cornelius arrives at the home of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Right, and with the smells rising up, with the sea breeze coming across the front. It's interesting, Luke tells us they stopped at the gate. And I can't help but believe perhaps this was an act of respect. They stopped at the gate because they, they're not Jewish, but they knew kind of Jewish expectations. And right, Jewish expectations is you don't, you don't have Gentiles in your home. So they stop at the gate out of respect and they begin calling for Peter, who's been on the roof and he's had this crazy vision, which he doesn't completely understand. And so he meets them 
And he hears for the first time the story of what Cornelius has experienced. And interestingly, Peter invites them to to stay with him, right? They're not going to have time to get back to Caesarea today. They need to start early in the morning. So Peter invites them to stay. And notice this. I think Peter Peter is slowly going to put together the significance of this vision. But even now, what is he doing? He's taking a step. I mean, this was a step. It was a step for him to dwell with Simon the Tanner. Now it's a, it's, a, it's a big step to welcome this delegation in, even to stay with them overnight. And then they plan they're going to head out to Caesarea on the next day together. Now again, remember, this, this isn't, right, Joppa to Caesarea. We're talking 30, 35 miles. It's not a long journey geographically. But you need to understand this was a monumental journey culturally. Because Caesarea was the seat of Roman power and authority in that region. It had been rebuilt by Herod the Great, the puppet Jewish king. And to win favor with the Roman occupiers, he had made it as Roman as possible. And you see that even today when you visit the ruins. For instance, this is the Roman amphitheater at Caesarea. And you walk through these ancient streets and it looks just like a Roman city. It even had pagan Roman temples. And now Peter, with a small uh, delegation, is headed to that city. Now, just kind of think about what that journey had to be like. Because for Peter, these are the people occupying your homeland. These were the people using oppressive tactics to maintain control. These were the people collecting absorbent taxes. These were the people who had crucified Jesus. And now he was going there to that city, which in so many ways represented what people thought was going wrong in their country. I mean, if, if, you, if you know the Hunger Games, just think Katniss Everdeen going to the capital. Peter going to Caesarea. And so once again, here's Peter, he's just, he's taking a step. He's taking a step. And then he arrives finally at Cornelius' house and when he arrives, here's part of what happens. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And this had to be, remember, all this time, I can only just imagine this, all this time you're kind of, you're preparing to go into 
Caesarea, right? It's almost like you're, in your mind you're preparing to go into the belly of the beast. This is those people, those people that are oppressing us. And, and all this time, maybe you're even wondering about, okay, how are you going to talk to those people? How are you going to explain the good news of Christ to those people? And he gets there, and it's like they're all waiting. All, the expect, all those kind of conversations, maybe that have been running through his mind, that kind of just dissipate in his head. And he says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown to me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, notice notice a couple of things of what Peter says here. Notice he says, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And the natural question is, whoa, 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 Peter. Where did you come up with that? Because if you, if you actually go back to the Jewish law that we know is the Old Testament, you will not find a command that says that. But here's what had happened over time, right? I mean... Jews looked at God's law and they said, well, you know what? We've got, we've got these laws about food. There's certain things we can eat. There's certain things we can't eat. Gentiles don't follow our laws. Because they don't follow our laws of clean and unclean food, then we, we just can't hang out with them. We can't eat with them. Therefore, they, they must be unclean. That was kind of the progress of, of logic. And, and by the time of Peter, this, this logic had really just soaked in. Well, you know... They're just those people. We can't associate, we can't stay with, we can't share a meal with them because of who they are. And you actually actually see this idea in even certain Jewish texts. Let me just show you probably the most famous quote along these lines is from a Jewish document, document known as Jubilees, probably written during the century before Jesus which says, keep yourself separate from the nations, do not eat with them, do not imitate their rights, nor associate yourself with them. So that's why Peter says what he says. But as you hear Peter's words, notice what is happening here. Because Peter, Peter is finally putting, he's finally putting everything together. He's putting the meaning of this vision together. He's really come to understand, you know, the vision, is, it, it just really wasn't about the food, was it? The vision was about people. He said, I've, I've come to understand, I'm not, I'm not to call anyone impure or unclean. Now, I realize at this point, I think for many of us, we're kind of like, okay, George, I know the story. Many of us, you're, you're familiar with this story. And it's like, I, I understand this Jewish-Gentile divine, this Jewish-Gentile tension. But, but you know what? I just don't get it. That's not a part of my experience. I, I can read it in the pages of Scripture, but, but it, I, I can't really fully relate to it or, or kind of comprehend it. And I realize maybe this, this story, in, in, in that sense, feels distant. But I think this is the place where this, this unusual scene really begins to intersect with our own experience. Because here's what Peter is acknowledging. Peter, in essence, is saying this. Peter is saying, you know what, up to this point, I have worked within a framework where I put some people in that 
other category, right? There were some people that were just other, those Gentiles. Due to their background, due to their ethnicity, due to their beliefs, they were, they were those people, the other people. And in reality, I think Peter would say, and I wasn't, I really, I wasn't quite sure how God was going to be at work in those people. I wasn't fully aware of how God's grace could be at work in those people. It's like they were second-class people. They were unclean. And what Peter is saying is, look, now I realize man, God's, God's work is so much bigger than I thought. God's grace is so much bigger than I thought. And the old categories, they don't work anymore. Now, you see, our situation can be very different. But can I just suggest, I think the truth is, you and I, we can do the same thing that Peter had been doing, right? We can put people in that other category. And we, we, we may define it differently, right? We can, do it based on, we can do it based on ethnicity. We can do it based on race. We can do it based on beliefs or politics or certain decisions or certain lifestyle choices. And it, it, we, can, we can just put people in that other category. And even as, for those of us who are followers of Christ, even while we, we believe in the gospel, we believe Christ died for all, there's still kind of an operating sense in our framework where there, you know what, they're those other people. And I'm just not quite sure how God works there. I'm just not sure God's grace can really be manifested there. And in reality, what we are doing is we are saying they are unclean. And tragically, I think for some of us, and this may, this may be you this morning, but tragically for some of us, we put ourselves in this category. You know, my life was going really well, but then my marriage fell apart. And now I kind of feel like I'm over here. I thought was, things were going really well, but, you know, my kids have gotten older and they've made some poor choices, and I carry the weight of that. I carry the guilt associated with that. Now I kind of... I'm over here. People don't know this, but there's some addictive behaviors that are part of my life I haven't been able to manage, and now I, I just put myself over here. And yes, I believe in the grace of God, I believe in the work of God, but there's still a sense in which I feel like some of us are just other. Second class. Unclean. Yet Peter has come to this point of 
radical change in his life because he says, I, the, the vision, you know what that, I know, I know the whole food law thing, but it really wasn't about the food. God was wanting me to understand that my categories didn't work anymore and that I am to call no one unclean. And so we continue in Acts chapter 10, and here's what we read in chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize that, that it is true that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. My old categories don't work anymore. And then with that, he, he really begins sharing with Cornelius the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you will read that as you continue through Acts chapter 10. For instance, as we continue in the next verse, he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. And when what, what Cornelius now hears is Peter explain the story of Jesus. In essence, Cornelius, I know you serve under Caesar, but you need to understand there really is one who is truly Lord, sovereign over all, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we live in a moral universe, and one day he will judge us all. But even now, there is good news that you can experience his peace because he died on your behalf. And through his work, this new work of God is now in place that brings forgiveness of sin, that brings renewal, that brings restoration. And Cornelius, I now understand this this is available to you just as it has been available to me. You can be changed. And that's exactly what happens, right? I mean, we read the rest of the story in a dramatic fashion. These people gathered in this room experience the transforming work of the gospel. And so as as we look at this passage, we really see two people in whose lives God brought about radical change. First, there was this Cornelius guy, this Gentile who served under Rome, but something was missing, and through the message of the gospel, he discovers the good news that Jesus can bring about new life and forgiveness. And then there's Peter, who, as a follower of Christ, has already started the journey of following Jesus, but now he's going through a new change as his categories are being stripped away, and he's coming to understand that God can actually be at work in all types of people. Therefore, he can put no one in the unclean category. Now, I think, I think there's much for us to learn here, but let me just briefly highlight two observations for you. So here's the first. The first observation is this. <laughs> Don't let your worship of God become a hindrance to the work of God. Don't let your worship of God become a hindrance to the work of God. Here's what I mean by that. Think again about Peter's mindset, right? I mean, his mindset was, look, I've got got to keep the food laws. I've got to maintain purity. I've got to stay separate. 
Yet if you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, you'll actually read statements that say, where God says, you know what, I'm giving you these laws. I'm giving these laws so that you would be unique. And in being unique, I actually want you to be a witness to the people around you of who I am and what I'm doing. That is, the the call to holiness was in so many ways for the benefit of other people. And now holiness was being interpreted as something that should simply keep us from other people. And in a real sense, his worship has become a hindrance to the work of God. Now, can I suggest, again, in different ways, we can do the same thing. You know, maybe I've just settled into certain patterns. You know, okay, I attend church periodically. I've got friends at church. Maybe I'm part of a group. You know, I do the devotional guide that the church makes available sometimes. I'm in scripture. I pray. And, but... Maybe the reality is I've just settled into something that's just quite comfortable. And in a real sense, I've lost a sense of the wonder, the adventure of God's work and grace. Maybe I pray about issues and and needs as they come up. I pray about my family. I pray for people in my group and, you know, sickness and things that I want to pray about, but... but I'm not really attuned to God being at work in my life. or the, I'm not really tuned to the ways God is inviting me into his bigger sense of mission. So in some sense, my worship has now become a hindrance to his work. Or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a high-level commitment person, and, and consequently, over time, I, I have in some sense actually isolated myself from people who think differently, who approach life differently. Because, you know what, I just want to hang out with people who are like me. I just want to hang out with people and, with my same beliefs and my same level of commitment. That's the way I want to follow Jesus. And again, my, in a real sense, my worship, my worship of God is now interfering with the work of God. Or maybe because of things in my past, mistakes I've made, things I wish I could do over. The truth is, I'm really kind of ambivalent about God's work. I believe, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the good news of Jesus. But there's just this kind of, I feel like there's this question mark over my life. There's a real sense, and even though I believe in God, I still view myself in that other category. And when you view God that way, it's, it's hard to think about being part of his mission. So is your worship of God becoming a hindrance to the work of God? Secondly, we can't expect to walk in the Spirit until we are willing to walk where the Spirit leads. One thing I hope you notice about Peter in this story, even though he doesn't immediately put together all the pieces of the puzzle, even though he doesn't put together immediately the significance of this vision, what does he do? He, he takes steps of obedience. Right all along the way. I mean, he has, this, he has this vision, and he doesn't really understand what it means, but then these people show up who are different, who are Gentile, but he takes a step of obedience. He hears the story, oh my goodness, they want me to go to Caesarea, they want me to go to the belly of the beast, but I'll go. He takes a step of obedience. He arrives at Cornelius' house and he takes a step of obedience in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And in different ways, these steps had to be scary, they had to be uncomfortable, they had to be awkward. But they were steps of obedience and following the Spirit's guidance. You know, throughout this series, we've just been talking about the importance of recognizing that as followers of Jesus, we're drawn into his mission. We are to be his witnesses. And in different ways, we keep coming back to questions like, where where is God giving you opportunities to live out his mission? And how can you be a part of that? I mean, think about now, even as we prepare for the holidays and we'll see different people, friends and family, how are you, how are you going to engage those, those relationships? How are you going to engage those conversations? Are you open to the fact that even in the next few weeks, there are just different ways God may be giving you to live out your faith and word and deed? And, and you know what? Yeah, that can be scary. Maybe sometimes it leads to a little bit of an awkward conversation or, or it just makes you uncomfortable. But remember, if you want to walk in the Spirit, you need to be wa- willing to walk where the Spirit leads. So here are two stories of change. Cornelius and Peter. And as you kind of hear their stories, very different people, is there some change, even like the changes in this story, that God is wanting to bring about in your life right now? And you are, are you open to that? And are you willing to take steps of faith? As you wrestle with that question, right? Am I really open to the idea that I can change? And am I open perhaps right now to change that God wants to bring about in my life? As you wrestle with that for a moment, we're going to come to a time of, of communion. And as we prepare for communion, here's, here's what I, I just want you to think about. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and, and in a real sense, maybe you kind of identify with Cornelius. You know, I've really tried to live my life well. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to be a responsible citizen. And, and maybe there really is so much in your life to celebrate, so much that the rest of us can admire. But maybe like Cornelius, there's still something that is missing. Because in the good things that you're doing, you still haven't begun the journey of following Jesus. You haven't begun the journey rooted in his grace and his forgiveness. Rooted in the new life that only he can give. And if that's the case, can can I just encourage you that this moment today can be an opportunity for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Even as Peter shared with Cornelius, I am sharing with you that this can be the day when you begin the journey of following Jesus. Likewise, for those of us who are already on that journey, perhaps some of us really need to be attuned to the fact that there are ways God is wanting to stretch our hearts and our categories, even as he stretched Peter's. Maybe in different ways, we've just gotten comfortable putting 
some people in that other category. Maybe we put ourselves in that category. And what Peter's experience reminds us is the reality that God's grace destroys those categories. And so you, are you open to that? And are you open to the fact that in destroying those categories as followers of Jesus, he is also bringing us into his mission? Bringing us in not only as recipients of his grace, but as witnesses to that grace. So maybe part of what God wants to do in your life this morning is just kind of continue to stretch your heart to the wonder, the reality of who he is and the depth and breadth of his grace. So I'm going to lead us in prayer right now, and then I'm going to invite you to one of the stations, either at the front or the back of the sanctuary, and and encourage you to pick up one of the cups, and then you can return to your seat. And in a moment, even as we sing, I'm going to come back, and we are going to celebrate this together. So let's pray. Gracious God, as we come to Acts chapter 10, we, we see you bringing about change in two very different people and in two radically different ways. And even this story is separated by so much history and culture and time. In similar ways, we are being invited into the same journey. A journey that introduces us to the good news of Jesus Christ and the change that that brings and the ongoing journey of more and more living in the reality of your grace and allowing that to overflow into the lives of other people. So, Father, I pray, first of all, for those who may need to take that step of faith in starting that journey. I pray that they would take the step even as Cornelius took that step. And likewise, I pray for some of us who need to have our hearts and attitudes stretched like Peter, that we would be open to just the deeper understanding of the wonder of your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.